So a while back, I got a few DMs on Instagram from some of you lovely people let me know about some of the case updates in the case of Sander Deer. I covered Sander Deer's case about two years ago, and it's been one that has stuck with me ever since. It's truly a case rooted in evil. I'm going to provide a quick summary of the case in just a moment. If you wanted to get a deep dive into the complexities of the case, you can find my full video on this channel linked at the top, it should be up here, uh, and in the description down below. If you're the kind of person that prefers the podcast format, you can find all of my videos and any future videos in podcast form on your favourite streaming platform by searching True Crime with Joshua Miles. I'll leave a direct link to the podcast episode and the YouTube video in the pinned comment. Sander Dia had been 20 years old at the time of his death and had been a civil engineering student at KU Leuven, which is one of Belgium's most prestigious universities. His father had worked in a factory and Sander hadn't been from a wealthy or influential family as many of the other students at the university had been. Sander decided to join a fraternity at the university as a way to improve his life prospects his job prospects, his future career prospects, and to network for his future career post-graduation. Though, after he joined the fraternity, he was subjected to a hazing ceremony that included and involved excessive drinking, physical abuse, and mental abuse. The hazing included tasks consisting of drinking large amounts of alcohol, and being made to consume substances such as fish oil. This hazing event took place over multiple days and culminated in a task in which the initiates were made to stand in freezing water-filled pits that were dug out in the ground. Sander, by this point, had already been severely intoxicated and was actually mostly unresponsive, but he was still subjected to further tasks such as swallowing a live goldfish and drinking more fish oil. Now, for those of you who don't know, fish oil is very salty, and drinking and consuming too much salt is not a good thing. If your body can't process that salt quick enough, it will begin to build up. Tragically, as his condition worsened, and after waiting far too long to seek medical attention, he was finally taken to the hospital, where he would sadly pass away shortly after admission. In the aftermath of Sander's death, the fraternity members proceeded to clean up all evidence pertaining to the hazing, and they were advised by their lawyers to not apologise to Sander's family. The fraternity members, as I mentioned earlier, all came from wealthy and influential families, which plays a massive part in this case. The university initially only required the fraternity members to complete just 30 hours of community service, and to write a paper as punishment for what they did to Sander Dia. The fraternity itself disbanded, and no public apologies were made. The case itself took two years to go to court due to conflicts of interest, with many of the fraternity members actually having parents who were judges or lawyers. Charges were brought against the 18 fraternity members that included degrading treatments, administration of harmful substances, and manslaughter, which carried a prison sentence of two to ten years. And the trial itself had been delayed multiple times at the point that I covered the case. The students at KU Leuven held sit-ins demanding justice for Sander, and at the end of my original video on the case, I asked you all to sign a petition to facilitate the arrest of all 18 of the fraternity members which you all came out in force to help with, and I cannot thank you enough for that. This was just a very quick summary of the case itself, which has far more complexities and societal implications involving issues of class and power that we can't simplify easily for this case update. So 
I strongly recommend you go check out my deep dive if you're not familiar with the case to fully grasp the context behind it. And that brings us to the updates in this case. We're going to be going through the day-by-day -day events of the trial to see how the courts came to the judgment that it did. And as there are 18 people accused during this trial, it can be a bit confusing to follow, so stick with me through this. The case appeared in front of the Court of Appeals on the 13th of March 2023 after being delayed from the year before due to the judge stating that she couldn't judge over the entire case, a decision that was appealed against, hence it ending up in the Court of Appeals. The judge in that first trial also stated that she believed that the charges against the 18 fraternity members should be reformulated to, quote, inflicting assault and battery, which is a charge that carries a lower maximum penalty. When the case was presented in the Court of Appeals, the charges against the 18 members had been, quote, administering harmful substances resulting in death with the aim of harming but not killing. This was all connected explicitly to the large amounts of fish oil or fish sauce that Sander had been made to drink, which ultimately proved fatal. Quote, the defendants obviously did not assume that administering that substance would be fatal. If that had been the case, the qualification would have been different. The public prosecutor argued on the first day of the trial that the accused were responsible for Sander Dia's death and should be held accountable proposing prison sentences that range from 18 to 50 months. The prosecutor also suggested that fines ranging from 500 to 1,000 euros and a five-year ban from civil rights be instated for the accused. As part of the trial, a number of civil parties were included in the legal proceedings. Gaia, which is an animal rights organization, became a civil party due to past incidents involving the fraternity and animal abuse, and they asked the courts for a symbolic moral compensation of one euro. The University of Antwerp also became a civil party, as two of the fraternity members had been students there, and they also asked for the same one euro symbolic moral compensation. Also on this first day of trial, one of the other initiates who had undergone the hazing ritual with Sandadia spoke out, expressing his anger and confusion and stating that none of the 18 accused fraternity members had intended for this to happen. The lawyer for the two other initiates who survived the hazing argued to the court that his clients had also been victims and that they had still been undergoing psychological treatment at the time of the trial. And interestingly, this lawyer stated that the colour of Sandadia's skin had played no role in the events that took place, which is a very controversial um, stance to take, um, especially if you understand the full complexities of this case and the public outcry and view of the case. On the second day of the trial, two of the fraternity members pleaded partially guilty for the death of Sander Dia, and they both expressed their personal regret for the events that occurred to the family and friends of Sander. Sander Dia's family's lawyer argued in court that society had a right to know the names of the 18 accused fraternity members, whose names have been protected by a court order in the media, something that we'll explore a bit further later on in this video. The lawyer of one of the accused, who we shall call Pete, by the name of Walter Damon, pleaded for an autonomous probation sentence of two years for his clients and asked for acquittal on the charges of administering harmful substances and guilty neglect. Tom D. Meester, who was the lawyer for one of the accused, who we'll call Dave, told the courts that his client was guilty and responsible for the death of Sandadia asking for a work sentence instead of a prison sentence for his clients. During that day's legal proceedings, one of the accused took the stand and expressed his sincere regret to the family and friends of Sandadia, 
stating that he had been naive and angry at himself for not realising the dangers of the hazing tradition. Pete, who was represented by the lawyer Walter Damon, also expressed his regret and said that he condemns himself for having taken any part in the hazing and the fraternity in general. Now, interestingly, Walter Damon called upon a forensic psychiatrist to discuss the group dynamics during the student initiations and hazing rituals. And this psychiatrist mentioned the, quote, risky shift effect, where decisions made in a group can be potentially more dangerous than those made individually, an attempt seen by some to shift the blame from any individual to the group in its entirety. The second day of the trial came to an emotional close, with all of the accused seemingly showing signs of regret and a willingness to take responsibility for their actions. On the third day of trial, the pledge master for the fraternity took the stand and pleaded guilty to unintentional killing and inhumane treatment, emotionally addressing Sandadier's family and expressing his regrets for his actions. The president of the fraternity also took the stand, emotionally telling the court that Sandadier should still be alive and that nobody should have been in court that day before expressing his willingness to talk to the family. Another one of the accused's lawyers, um, a lawyer called Eric Boone, argued in the court that day for a work sentence for his clients and also sought acquittal for administering harmful substances and guilty neglect. One of the lawyers criticised the media for creating a, quote, distorted image of his client due to leaks, which was mainly about the images and the names and, and private details about the accused. And this lawyer argued that his client should not be punished for what went wrong in the student's initiations. It must be noted that both of the clients of those two lawyers did take the stand and express their deep regret and took responsibility for their actions, directly addressing Sandadia's family. Several more lawyers argued that day for the acquittal of their clients on legal grounds, only acknowledging the moral responsibility. And that day concluded with the fact that the issue of who exactly administered the fatal fish sauce to Sander Deer still had to be clarified. The fourth day of the trial was more of the same kind of thing, with some of the fraternity members apologizing to Sander's family and expressing their regret for the pain they'd caused. Notably, three lawyers argued for the innocence of their clients, with one not taking a stance on his clients' guilt another stating that his client could not be held criminally responsible, and the third pleading for acquittal as his client had pushed for standard to be taken to the hospital. It was also argued in court that day that the initiation ritual itself should not be confused with the crime, and that being present at the initiation was not enough to establish guilt, with further criticism of the media for overstepping boundaries and demonizing the accused. On the fifth day of the trial, the last of the accused and their lawyers spoke. Out of the 18 accused fraternity members, 11 of them were asking for complete acquittal, while the remaining seven had partially admitted their guilt in the death of Sander. The courts then convened to establish their verdict in the case. It wouldn't be until two months after the last day of the trial, on Friday the 26th of May 2023, that the verdict would be announced. The court had to establish whether the 18 accused were guilty or not of administering harmful substances resulting in the death of Sander Deer, administering harmful substances resulting in incapacity for work, for administering unintentional assault and battery, for degrading treatments, for guilty negligence, and for violations of animal rights laws. The courtroom was filled with the media, the friends and family of Sandadia, and members of the public as the court ended session. The verdict was then read. The court announced that all 18 of the accused had been found guilty of administering unintentional blows and injuries that led to the death of Sandadia 
The exact judgments were culpable negligence, not guilty. Administration of harmful substance resulting in death, not guilty. Degrading treatment of a victim, guilty. Violation of animal welfare law, guilty. Involuntary manslaughter, guilty. And for those guilty charges, they were all sentenced to work penalties ranging from 200 to 300 hours, which is essentially community service. All of the 18 accused were acquitted of administering harmful substances and guilty neglect. They also had to pay a fine of between 250 to 400 euros each. Interestingly, only eight of the 18 accused had been present at the day of the verdict, and as they only received community service as a punishment, it was not something that was going to show up on their criminal records. As one of you expressed to me over Instagram messages, that 400 euro fine and 300 hours of community service was what Sander's life was worth to the justice system. And some of you expressed in my Instagram messages your outrage, your absolute disgust, and your disappointments at this sentencing. The family of Sander Dia expressed their disappointments that not all of their questions had been answered, particularly who exactly had administered the fish oil or the fish sauce that had been the fatal blow. The final update I wanted to touch on was about a Dutch YouTuber by the name of Acid, who received a temporary suspension on YouTube for a video he posted in which he revealed the names, photos, and jobs of the individuals involved in the case. Allegedly, this video had led to targeted harassments of one of the parents of the guilty parties. And this is one of the reasons why I've opted to not name those involved in this case, despite my anger and disgust at their actions, as it seems that these 18 people have the wealth and influence to cause further damage. And that is everything that I have for you in this case update. Overall, an extremely disappointing result in my own opinion, especially knowing the full extent of the literal torture that occurred to Sandadia and the inhumane treatment he received. Thank you to those of you who reached out to me with this case updates. If there's any case updates you have come across, feel free to send them to me on Instagram, Twitter, Discord, or wherever you can reach me. Be sure to subscribe to this channel if you want to see more true crime content just like this video. Uh, this video is a bit of an outlier as a case updates, but I really wanted to get this out as quickly as possible. Again, if you want to learn more about this case in far more detail, then you can find the links in the description and the pinned comments. And I will see you on Sunday at 9pm UK time for the next true crime video in which we're going to be discussing a lesser known serial killer case. So I'll see you then.